Welcome back into the original Gangsters podcast. I'm Scott Bernstein, along with my partners in crime, uh, Jimmy Bouchelato and Roberto Beauchene behind the glass is our producer. And today we're going to do a special uh, deep dive into the Black Mafia family. There's been lots of BMF news this week, and we're going to bring on a very special guest, uh, retired IRS criminal investigation unit um, agent Frank Scartosi who was at the forefront of the uh, BMS bus back in 2005, Operation Motor City Mafia. And he's going to come in in a couple seconds and uh, give us some perspective on the news that's been breaking this week. So just to give uh, some people a little bit of background, the Black Mafia family was the biggest uh, drug empire in America from around the late 90s into the mid-2000s. They became kind of ubiquitous in hip-hop culture. And uh, their, their legacy reigns pretty uh, huge even today, 15 years after they were busted. Uh, Black Mafia family was led by the two Flannery brothers, Demetrius Big Meat Flannery, the most iconic uh, black crime lord probably uh, in American history, as well as his brother, Terry Southwest T. Flannery. They came from the streets of Southwest Detroit and then built their a drug kingdom uh, around the country. They were bi-coastal. They controlled drug, uh, the drug markets in about 24 or 25 different states. And uh, like I said, they became uh, kind of luminaries simultaneously uh, in the underworld and in the, in the hip hop world. So uh, Frank, thanks a lot for joining us and giving us some perspective uh, from, from the law enforcement angle about how you guys uh, uh, took Black Mafia family down. Thanks for inviting me. Can you hear me, Frank? The big news this week is that uh, Terry Flannery, Southwest T, was let out of prison uh, on a compassionate release, citing the the, the pandemic, the the healthcare crisis, as a way to get him out of prison about six years early. Both uh, Big Meech and Terry Flannery pleaded guilty in the Operation Motor City Mafia bust in 2007 and received 30-year sentences. They were slated to come out in 2032. Uh, Terry got his sentence reduced, I think, last year or the year before, uh, down six years to 2026. And then on Tuesday, he just walked out of prison when uh, U.S. District Judge David Lawson granted him a compassionate release. Big Meats is trying uh, the same route to freedom. And you have the U.S. Attorney's Office in Michigan uh, trying to block that road to freedom. And uh, although they signed off on Terry's release, they're not signing off on Nietzsche's release. And they're actually floating in uh, the brief that, that the U.S. District Attorney filed. They're floating that that Nietzsche's still a suspect in a murder from 2003, which had ties into Puffy Combs and the East Coast, West Coast rap war. So, Frank, thanks a lot for joining us. And uh Maybe just tell our, our, our listeners a little bit about your history when you joined IRS, CI, and the kind of cases you were working uh, here in Detroit That's from the early 80s. Well, actually, um, I hired in in 1977 uh, in Detroit, born and raised here in Detroit. And uh, so shortly after, so 77, probably in about 1979, 1980, um, I began in. Uh, in, investigating or being involved in organized crime investigations. And then in the early night, early eighties, um, started working drug cases here in Detroit. And of course, being so, with IRS, being with IRS, um, 
I mean, our focus was on back then on uh, tax evasion. Um, and then in 1986, when the money laundering laws went into effect, um, money laundering investigation became a big part of what we what we would do. Who who are some of the uh, big night uh, big name Italian gangsters in Detroit that you were working? That some names that people might recognize. Oh, I had it, um, cases on Vito Giacalone, his son Jack Giacalone. Um, one of their underlings in the gambling world, Alan Hilf, uh, and his crew. The general um, in, the, in the Capitol Street Social cru uh, Club crew. Yeah, the general. Um, those were, you know, some of the names that, you know, that I recall. So let's kind of talk about your first uh, introduction to Black Mafia family. When did you first hear uh, the term BMF or, or, or hear the names uh, Demetrius and Terry Flannery? First heard the names Demetrius and Terry Flannery probably in the early to mid-90s. Um, I mean, they were known back then as uh, kilo, kilo cocaine dealers. Um, you know, back like in the mid-90s, they were being sourced out of St. Louis. Um, so, I mean, we were aware of them. I was aware of their names. Really didn't start working them until... Um, late 2003 at that time i was uh involved in another investigation with the dea uh of a guy by the name of reggie dancy who was a leader of the puritan avenue boys a gang here in detroit along with his partner terry stuckey in november of 03 um reggie dancy was arrested and during that time from the early summer through probably the time of his arrest, we saw him driving this high-end BMW, BMW 760. Initially, it had paper plates on it, and then it, uh, uh, a Georgia license plate was, was seen on it. Well, he's arrested in November of 03, and at that, that time, we seized that vehicle. In the glove box of that vehicle was paperwork for the ownership. A lady down in Atlanta owned the car, uh, but more importantly, in that paperwork, there was a business card for a company called Exquisite Empire that was run by a guy named Bill Marshall down in Atlanta. Uh, they called him Doc, right? He was the... Yes. Yeah. Uh, Bill Doc Marshall. And, the, and just to let people know, he, he was the uh, Black Mafia family's uh, unofficial chief financial officer. You could, yes, for sure. Anyway, so what happened is we talked. I'm sorry, there, I didn't mean I to talk, Nah, so I talked to uh, an, an agent that we had been working with on other cases down in Atlanta from DEA, Jack Harvey. And right around that time, uh, Atlanta Police Department had done a search warrant in a what turned out to be a related case. And during that search warrant, they seized a bunch of records from Exquisite Empire. In the records they seized was a list of all these high-end vehicles that Exquisite Empire um, was leasing out. That that BMW for Dancy was on there, but then there was a bunch of other vehicles that had like BMF with a person's name next to it. So um, that's pretty much how things started. 
what what Marshall was doing back then was he would get uh, people, individuals down there in the Atlanta area to go out and buy these vehicles. And then what he would do is basically sublease them out to drug dealers. So, you know, that's how things started. We started talking to DEA down in Atlanta. Um, right about that time in November of 03, that's when they did the uh, search warrant on you know, what was known as the White House. And during that search warrant, again, there was an, a lot of um, financial records that were seized, car titles, uh, drug ledgers. And that's pretty that much That was Meech's main started. residence in Atlanta, correct? That was Terry's residence. Uh, Meech okay. lived there, but it was actually Terry's place. Actually, the, the Terry spent most of the, his time in Los Angeles. In 2003, he was out in LA, right? But that was okay. Terry's. That was Terry's house. Um, Dimitri was living there. there. Pardon me. Right. But Terry or uh, Demetrius and his crew were kind of staying out of that place that they call the White House. Right. Right. I think they actually did the warrant. the The, the warrant that was conducted out there was right after that, uh, the, the shooting that Meech was involved in. The, the, the Reggie Danzi arrest comes in November of 03. Uh, Reggie was the head of a kind of a black mafia family subunit um, in, on the west side of Detroit known as the PA Boys or the Puritan Avenue Boys. They called Reggie uh, the dude, dude Danzi, and he had a partner, uh, I believe, uh, Damone Slim Brantley and then Terry Stuckey. So you guys are in. Uh, um, investigating them and then from that investigation you get hip to uh doc marshall who is kind of the unofficial black mafia family uh cfo who's running things out of a a, a high-end car rental in atlanta so kind of pick it up pick it up from there yeah so again that from there we pretty much joined forces with with dea in atlanta detroit uh, DEA, again, as I said, they decided to throw their resources at the Flannery brothers. And sometimes shortly thereafter, I, sometime like in the spring of 04, they received uh, authorization to wiretap a phone, which led to a wiretap of Terry Flannery's phone. And then for the next, you know, probably six months or so, uh, you know, there was this wiretap investigation. And of course, all during that time, you know, we were building on, you know, the, the financial and the investigation also. This was a big money case. I mean, we're talking hundreds of millions of dollars that were flowing through uh, BMF controlled uh, bank accounts. Um, talk about in terms of scope and width, uh, how Black Mafia family uh, stacked up against other uh, drug organizations that you had seen before, or even, you know, Italian, Italian mob racketeering operations. Well, there, there is no comparison, you know, from the drug cases that I was involved in, was involved in, in, uh, you know, during the eighties and during the nineties and the early two thousands, there was none to compare as far as the, the money and the assets. Um, as far as, you know, uh, mob investigations go, you never saw, I really never saw that kind of money either. So, I mean, they, they were definitely unique, you know, when you could go out and, and give a, uh, 
a car broker out in, in California, 400,000 cash, you know, to buy a car, to give him 250,000 cash to buy a car. I never saw anything like that. And I don't know that I'd ever see anything like that again. Hey, Frank, let me ask you. Um, so Terry is in Los Angeles. Big Meech is in Atlanta. Can you explain to our audiences how the, uh, the connection to Detroit? Because BMF, the, the, it seems like the um, nexus is still here in the Motor City. Can you explain how that network connected back to Detroit? Well, they, you know, both, both of the brothers still maintain ties back in Detroit. And, and it, Detroit was one of the areas where they were distributing their drugs. Um, again, that all originated from here. Yeah, Terry was living out in L.A., Meach down in Atlanta, but they still had people here. You know, they still had a, 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 a manager here, you know, running the operation. So it all stemmed from here. And from here, you know, it just branched out across the country. In terms of... Go ahead, Jimmy. Yeah, I was just going to say in terms of uh, similar to Scott's question about scale, um, in terms of... Uh, supplying at the supply end and uh, supplying other um, operations with cocaine. Uh, can you give us uh, an idea of the scale of BMF? I mean, how much, how much of the nation's cocaine uh, was being supplied by BMF approximately? I mean, they were, they were major players. You know, I have no idea, you know, how, you know, on the scale of, you know, how much cocaine was being distributed in this country and how much was coming from them. I don't really have anything to, to, uh, gauge that on. I mean, all I know is, is from the seizures that were made from the, the money seizures that were made from the money that they were spending, they were huge. Again, they had a, their money judgment as you know, from the indictment was $270 million. And that for the most part was based upon, the estimate of how much cocaine the government believed they could prove they trafficked in, you know, during whatever that was, 10, 15 years. So you divide 270 million by, you know, if you can come up with an average price per kilo, you know, you know that, that's, that's the amount of, of uh, cocaine that, that they were putting on the street. Was it just cocaine? I mean, Scott or Frank, if you, if you can answer this, was it just cocaine or were they trafficking uh, marijuana pills? Uh, what was what were heroin? What was their uh, game? They, they, they were strictly cocaine, kilos of co cocaine. Okay, interesting. And this, it, this group had a really, really long run. I mean, they were a unicorn. If you're a, if you're a drug boss or a mob don and you get a five-year run, six-year run, that, that, that's a long time on top. They were on top for 15 years. It seems like maybe their ambition at the end of the day was their undoing. When they were just operating in Detroit through the first half of the 90s, uh, they were able to keep their head down and uh, not um, encounter a lot of headlines or media attention. And then at some point in the early 2000s, after they had made their expansion and uh, between 1995 and 2000, they expanded into like 23 different states. They had 23 different franchises around the country with the three kind of the, 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 the triangular hub uh, between uh, Los Angeles, California, Atlanta, 
uh, Georgia and Detroit, Michigan. Um, but it seemed that when they made that expansion and meat specifically started to really covet the spotlight, he even, you know, infamously put up a dozen billboards uh, up and down I-75 way you get from Detroit down to Atlanta. You take I-75 all the way. He, he put up Scarface themed billboards, I believe around 0203, uh, saying the world is mine, kind of like uh, Tony Montana had said. And it, and it, it appeared that his desire, it, you know, I've always kind of uh, summed it up like this when I've talked about it to people, that you know, Big Meats circa 2000 was the biggest drug dealer in America and nobody knew about it. And it drove him crazy. He wanted everyone to know about it. So by 2003, uh, Big Meats gets his witch. He's the biggest drug dealer in America. Everybody knows it. But I don't think it's a coincidence that that coincides with the DEA and the IRS opening up Operation Motor City Mafia, which uh, results in the, 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 the downfall of the Flannery Brothers and the entire BMF kin kingdom crumbling. Can you kind of talk about that dynamic and how their ambitions might have got the most of them? Well, as, as you said, it's no coincidence at all. Uh, Meech brought this upon himself you know, with this flamboyance. Um, you know, Terry was pretty much staying low key out in LA, but um, Meech brought it all upon the organization. That, that's exactly what happened. Can you talk um, a little bit about how uh, by the end of the BMF reign, by the time the investigation was starting to um, come uh, down the home stretch, that, that Demetrius and Terry uh, fell out. They were no longer on speaking terms because of Terry's um, kind of annoyance with, with Meech's flamboyance. Exactly. I mean, there, there, there was... Uh, an inter intercepted phone call back then where I believe Terry was talking to his sister complaining about just that Meech's flamboyance and that he was just bringing too much attention upon everybody. And, um, and I don't think they had been, they had not been talking for some time anyways, because of, you know, all the activity that happened back in 03, um, you know, down in the nightclubs down there. They were pretty much running separately. So it kind of reminds me a little bit of the Chambers Brothers crew from Detroit uh, in the mid 80s, uh, late 80s, where you had uh, that group of uh, young African-Americans that came up from uh, the, the, the Arkansas, Mississippi Delta and uh, kind of planted a flag in Detroit. And you had all these different brothers while the government tried to make it out to be that they were the uh, one uh, consolidated organization, it was actually more like a number of uh, crews operating separately under a, a common umbrella. I think at the end, that's, that's, that's how it was with BMF. I mean, they were under that BMF umbrella, but the two brothers were, you know, they basically had their own crews. Yeah, let me I ask think there you, was uh, Frank. I think I, I, Frank. I think my uh, my students will uh, find this interesting. Um, when uh, some of my uh, students have presented research 
papers on BMF and uh, an element that they find interesting that I think you can speak to is the fact that Big Meat starts a record label. And uh, I think in, uh, in many reasons, the record label was not only about publicity, but to launder money. But the record label was not really a record label. They didn't have any artists. They weren't producing very much music. And so uh, it's just kind of an interesting aspect of the story. Can you, can you talk about that from an investigative uh, position? Uh, they, they have this record label, but it's really a name only? Well, that, that, that's true. And they, didn't, they created this company, BMF Entertainment Inc., like sometime in, I think it was in March or April of 2004, um, create the corporation out in California and nothing was ever done with it um, other than billboards and t-shirts and, you know, one artist is Blue Da Vinci, who was actually the one out in California who incorporated the, uh, the uh, business. So they, 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 their idea may have been to eventually try and launder money through the business, but it, it, it never came to fruition. And really by that time, I mean, what they were doing in, you know, in 2000, in the early 2000s and 2003, with the assets they were buying and the money they were laundering was kind of too late. Um, so I, I don't, I don't know if that was their intention. I mean, you, you hear stories or not stories, but accounts where, you know, they laundered, you know, hundreds of millions through, you know, BMF entertainment. That never happened. I mean, they mm. laundered their money by finding nominees to, you know, to buy their houses, to rent their houses, to buy their cars. Um, that's how they laundered their money. And let me, uh, we uh, back up a little bit in terms of the case. Um, how aware, Frank, were you of the incident where Anthony Wolf Jones was uh, gunned down? And uh, maybe Scott can give a little bit of context about that, too. Um, that seems to be one of the more interesting elements of the case study. And that's also going to factor into Big Meech's current uh, legal situation. So, Scott, maybe you want to give a little context, and then we'll let Frank elaborate on that. Yeah, Frank referenced it that one of the uh, um, search warrants you got were, were kind of had stemmed from that shooting uh, in uh, um, November of 2003, which was right when uh, Operation uh, Motor City Mafia was really uh, hitting full tilt. And so just to give people some background, uh, it was a night out at uh, a club called Club Chaos. It was November 11th, 2003. And Jermaine Dupree, who was a, uh, a, a hip-hop mogul from Atlanta, would host a Monday night hip-hop called Club Chaos. Uh, Big Meech and his entourage were uh, often seen at this Monday night hip-hop night. Uh, so on Monday, November 10th, they were at the Club Chaos VIP section, and Big Meech and a, a figure by the name of Anthony Wolf Jones, who Meech had known, uh, Wolf Jones was Puffy Combs' bodyguard and very close friend. Puffy Combs had a lot of connections to, to Black Mafia family. And even though they were acquaintances, uh, Wolf Jones and Demetrius got into a verbal altercation, which then became a physical altercation in the VIP section of Club Chaos, 
over a girl that was with the BMF entourage, but had used to uh, been romantically connected to Wolf. And Wolf, I think, was trying to get her to come talk to him and was grabbing her uh, forcefully, uh, trying to remove her from the VIP section. Meech and his people interjected or uh, interjected themselves into the situation. Wolf Jones is thrown out of the club. Uh, about an hour and a half, two hours later, Wolf Jones never left. Instead, he got one of his buddies, a guy by the name of Lamont, Riz Gertie, and they were waiting for Meech and Meech's bodyguard uh, to uh, go to their car. Meech uh, was driving a, um, a uh, Cadillac uh, SUV, and Riz and Wolf are waiting for Meech and his bodyguard when they reach the car. Shots ring out. Uh, Meech and his bodyguard are wounded, but uh, Riz and Wolf Jones are dead. Uh, Meech eventually gets charged with the case, but the case is dropped before trial on the grounds of self-defense. Can you kind of give us what you knew about that? Well, Scott, what I know, what I knew about that is pretty much what you just summarized there. Um, again, what happened that really affected our case in Detroit was when Atlanta PD did their search warrant on the White House. I believe they were looking for the gun or looking for a gun. And during that warrant is when they came across all of these records and, and drug ledgers that um, were then shared with us and pretty much kicked off, you know, our investigation up here. Were you aware of who Wolf Jones was, though, and kind of his place in the hip hop culture? The fact that he had been kind of Puffy's right hand for a while, that he had been arrested, I think, in the year before that with Jennifer Lopez in a, a big high profile club shooting in New York back in 1995. He was the top suspect in the murder of a guy named Jake Robles, who was connected to the death row uh, entourage, which a lot of people say was the, the spark that ignited the whole east coast west coast rap war so wolf jones was wasn't a nobody he was someone that really had been uh kind of in that ether uh that nexus between uh, the underworld and rap yes and you I mean and we knew that uh you know sean combs was associated with uh terry and demetrius flannery too you know that they that there was a a, a friendship there so um, it's just, you know, that was, that was known. I mean, I can't say that I knew who Wolf Jones was prior to that shooting. Um, but we definitely knew who, you know, Sean Combs was. I'm, yeah. Frank, in, in what, in what regard were you aware of Sean Combs just because he was a celebrity or because of his friendship with some of these unsavory characters? No, well, Again, th through our investigation, you know, we, we knew or we learned, I should say, that the Flannery brothers, you know, had this relationship not only with, um, you know, rap artists like Combs, not to say that there was any kind of, you know, illegal activity involving these guys, sure. but th those were the circles they ran in. I mean, they, they, they ran with out in L.A., you know, there were. You know, we learned that there were, uh, you know, movie stars that they that like Terry would associate with other, you know, celebrities. There was a guy that we that we charged in this case. 
by the name of Damon Thomas, who was was buying jewelry for uh, the Flannery brought for for Terry. That uh, you know, he he was a a record producer out there. So you know, they knew these guys um, and ran with them. Damon Thomas was Kim Kardashian's ex-husband. Exactly. Yep. D Damon Thomas testified against the Funnery Brothers uh, in grand jury uh, hearing. Am I right? Well, it, I couldn't. If he did or he didn't, that's something I couldn't tell. It, I don't know okay. if that's a public I, I, record. I, I, right. But I believe I, it's public record. Was, yeah. He was indicted. And he, and he was convicted. Okay. And what in what he was doing, I mean, he was buying, he was acting as a nominee for Terry Flannery buying jewelry jewelry from uh, Jake Bearboff. Jacob the jeweler, who's been name checked yeah. quite a bit in uh, hip hop culture over the last two decades. Yes. Who was also a part of the of the Operation Motor City Mafia bus, and I believe did he have to do a little bit of time? I think he did a couple years. And yeah. he ended up he ended up writing the check to the government for a couple million dollars based upon what you know we believed he helped them launder in jewelry. Uh, based on a comment you just made, uh, I, I think I already have my answer to to this question, but I'm going to throw it out there anyway, and uh, you can address it or you can give a no comment or or whatever you feel comfortable with. But I know that there were or have been some confidential informants over the years that have told DEA that some of the uh, financing, the early financing for Bad Boy uh, Entertainment uh, came from some BMF associates. Had, had you ever heard that? Uh, uh, no comment. <laughs> okay. Uh, and so, you know, Puffy uh, actually has his name uh, kind of being connected to this case this week. And I kind of want to get your... Uh, your take on some of this social media beefing that's been going on since the uh, announcement that Terry is coming out of, uh, or was released on Tuesday. I'm interested to get your take on um, the fact that Puffy Combs and Irv Gotti, uh, who was uh, another uh, contemporary of Combs, uh, a music mogul from New York, have had their names uh, bandied about on social media this week in relation to uh, the release of Terry Flannery. I want to kind of get your take on this. I don't, I don't know if you even uh, have knowledge of this, but 50 Cent, who is a very you know prominent hip hop artist and has acquired the rights to the Flannery Brothers story and will be doing a, a BMF television show on Stars in the next year or two. Uh, he immediately jumped on. Uh, Instagram this week and started for all intents and purposes threatening Puffy and Irv Gotti on, on Terry Flannery's behalf kind of it looks like I'm not saying Terry told him to do this but uh, 50's on that uh, on social media saying you owe Terry money I expect you to give him his money if we don't have the money by 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 Monday you're going to get you know either either stretched out to him or get stretched out with something they said uh, kind of like either reach out to him and give give him give him his money, or we're going to hurt you. Uh, what what is your take on on uh, that type of behavior uh, from from Fifty Cent in the wake of of Terry's release? Um, 
I think it could be a lot of talk. Let me throw this out to you. Both of these, both Terry and Demetrius, when they pled guilty, they agreed to a money judgment. I think it was to the $270 million, which means if they get any kind of money and the government gets wind of it, you know, whether it's from a legitimate source or illegal source, the government can come and take it. So if, I mean, if for some reason Combs or this Irv Gotti owed Terry money and he was, they were to write him a check for, you know, a few million dollars and the government got wind of that, government could go in and seize it. So I don't know how all that would work. It seems very foolish on 50 cents part to be dragging Terry into this right now. Uh, you know, a lot of people could perceive what 50 is doing on Instagram this week as threatening people that owe Terry money uh, on behalf of Terry. And I don't think that's what's happening. I think 50 is kind of flying solo here, but perception is reality. And when Terry's walking out of prison this week for the first time in 15 years, I'm sure he doesn't want this type of, attention coming from 50 whether or not 50 thinks he's doing him a favor or not all it's doing is, is muddying the waters and and making frankly terry and meach look bad exactly exactly just like you know what you just said if if for, terry is behind 50 cent making these you know if they are threats you know what terry should be doing is just going what he said he's going to be doing is going down and staying with his mom you know back in uh on uh, on etzel street uh, until the time when he's able to go back out to la uh, personally i gotta believe he's still sitting on a boatload of money someplace and i don't know that he needs to to be having uh this this 50 cent threatening people on instagram um that that might be something just cool. to juice up Raiden for his TV show on Fifty yeah. Cent's behalf. I don't know. I'm sure it is. <laughs> I have no doubt yeah. that it is. All right. Well, we want to thank Frank Scartosi for joining us on the OG podcast. Uh, he is a, a superstar of a G man and uh, was really uh, one of the more distinguished uh, IRS criminal investigation unit um, agents to ever work in the Detroit office, and we were really honored to have him join us. And I know that we're going to have him back. Yeah, thank you, Frank. Thanks, we look Scott. forward to having you on again. I, well, I know thanks. Frank has some really interesting uh, Jack Loney stories, too. All right, guys. Thank you.